Kia koutou. I'm Sam Broughton, the Mayor of Waikirikiri, Selwyn District. Welcome back to Swell On Air. Grab a coffee or tea, sit back and enjoy listening to the following show. So welcome to the topic of health and social supports. My name is Kirsten Dingwalakoya and I'm your host this morning. This morning we're going to be hearing from two services run by the Presbyterian Support Enliven team. We've got Helen Ross and Chris Gurren in the studio. And after that we'll have Lynn Taylor from Diabetes Christchurch. So our first guest is Helen. So welcome Helen. So you run a network called Elder Care Canterbury. Can you tell me what this is? So Elder Care Canterbury has, uh, has morphed over the years. It started 25 years ago. Uh, a very interesting beginning with contributions from financial contributions from a bunch of uh, geriatricians and psychogeriatricians who were very concerned at that stage about the disconnect between services between GPs, hospital and community. So that's where it's had its origins and it's developed over time. Um, for the last 15 years it's been a contract with the CDHB held by Presbyterian Support so the idea of or the byline for Elder, Be- Elder Care Canterbury is working together, uh, you know, to meet the well-being needs of our older people in Canterbury. Um, in the past, it's possibly true to say it's had more of a focus on health, but with some of the initiatives that Elder Care Canterbury um, brought in in its very early days, there have been uh, bodies and uh, groups set up within the formal health system that have, have met some of those needs for integration and collaboration. And so in more recent years, I guess the focus has been more on the social determinants of health and all those things that it can affect people's well-being, um, still with a focus to, to a large degree on health issues. So what does Elder Care Canterbury do in Selwyn? So Selwyn is the most recent um, member of the fold in terms of the forums that we we hold. Uh, we have four geographical, graphically based forums. Um, so Christchurch, uh, North Canterbury, Ashburton, and as I say, most recently Selwyn. So the idea is it's a facilitated network that brings together people with a passion for improving the lives of older people across community and health services. Um, And so three times a year, if it's not impacted by COVID, we organise forums at different locations within the Selwyn district, um, organise speakers Uh, but always allowing time for that very important function of networking and people connecting with each other and putting names to faces of people's, you know, whose details you may have seen on um, emails or but never quite met in person. So who can come to these meetings? So I guess we direct the invitations to people who have subscribed to the network um, primarily, but I guess, uh, and we need to get I need to get back on top of this, is distributing the information more widely so that we get a mix of providers, older people, and people supporting older people. So this people supporting older people might be, for instance, a U3A group or Probus group. Would Some, that be something like that. I think anything that's, that's creating that f- community fabric, which is so important um, so- in today's world. 
So why does it matter so much that we have networks like this that also include the consumer voice? Well, as I say, I think it's about it's about that fabric, a strong fabric which which has um, you know warps and wefts, and that you have formal services. Um, which might be the you know one direction ones, and we might have the informal sections going the other way. If there's not that firm fabric, you get gaps and holes that people fall through, and that's what we don't want to see. So, what kind of uh, topics would you have at a typical meeting? So, I guess we we have a range of things. I'm hoping next year to sort of maybe do more thematic things around people's needs. Um, in the past, we've had a lot of organisations and services presenting. So most recently at Rangiora, we had uh, Esther Periam from uh, the Aldernet Group, um, which does a, a wonderful job throughout the whole country now of keeping track of services and supports and rest homes and residential facilities for older people. So uh, Esther was updating us because they have a new addition to that fold, which is more targeted to people who want to remain in their own homes in the community and and what's available for them to maintain their well-being in that environment. So how do people hear about these meetings or get involved? So I, as I say, the, the subscriber, so subscribing and there's the, the, the Presbyterian website has a link on there. Um, we, we will do more of a job of promoting it through other networks, as in the Selwyn um, District Council information that goes out. Um, we'll also use the, the SOAN network as well. So those other systems that are in place to inform people about events and um, activities that are going on. Thank you so much for talking to us today, Helen. You're welcome. So now we're going to talk to Chris Gurren, another member of the Presbyterian Support Enliven team. Welcome, Chris. Thank you, Kirsten. So you run a service called Enliven Homeshare. Mm-hmm. What is this service? Um, it's a service where we get small groups of elderly um, meeting in a host's home. And these are a bit like a rest home um, care support days, but they're in someone's home. So it is like perhaps having an auntie and uncle come to your home once a week and the same group of people in the same place and it's sort of a regular rhythm of attendance and support with each other. So what are the benefits of Homeshare? Like what is the why, I guess? Why did you start Homeshare? Yeah, it was based on a template brought over from England and who recognised then that there was a lot of social isolation. It's a very simple premise, and I think it was um, very successful in that you have one or two hosts and bring people with a variety of issues. So it could be social isolation, which is the common thread with the clients. Um, And, of course, there's um, issues like memory loss, there's physical uh, challenges, as well as mental health. So... We have a wide criteria of people coming, and it is about connection with people their own age. So what does a typical day look like for a person attending a home share? There are some threads. Every group we try and um, encourage them to adopt whatever is the local flavour and what is available 
um, locally. Usually in the day, they'll turn up around 10 or 11, have a cup of tea, a, a chat, and there'll be an activity. We try and include some physical activity, mental stimulation, depending on the acuity of the group. Um, and then there'll be a, at least a two-course lunch and a light activity, which could be another walk, a game, maybe a, a video, and then home again. So quite a simple but um, complex day in trying to accommodate the varying needs of the clients. So we've heard about social isolation is a really big topic in older person's health, and it tends to be a risk as people age. What causes this risk? Like, what are the things that make someone more at risk from social isolation? I think there's many causes, um, and of course we're all living older, um, or longer rather, and so there's more um, physical issues. A lot of our clients live with family or even live apart from family, so and they're cared for well in terms of their physical environment, but not socially. And their um, friends or neighbours, they can go out to work, so there's Beautiful people are left on their own all day. And I think it's the nature of our society and, and particularly in the rural areas, say Selwyn, there are people who um, have got some connections and deep connections in the community but have no way of transport to get together. So we try and provide a group of gathering these like-minded people together. So you mentioned carers and often... Sometimes if someone's health needs are exacerbated or they're in a more frail state, this can also offer respite for curers. Is that important? Yes, that would be um, a big part of what we try and do is give the carer, which in most cases is a spouse, um, the day off where they know they can, some of them said they can, it's the only time they can do their shopping, for example, or they might want to get their hair done or have friends over and or just sit in the garden, have time to themselves because some of our clients have a different forms of dementia, which means they're very rarely on their, the carers are very rarely on their own. Um, and it's a very intense time. So we very happily provide that service of having a break, a short break, but a regular break during their week. And... It's also an opportunity to volunteer in a meaningful mm. way. What does this look like? Um, we have volunteers from um, other areas who help with transport. Um, we have volunteers who help with providing meals um, and, and can drop in during the day. Some people drop in in the morning or the afternoon and have that connection and support the host. The host um, makes the meal and they kind of coordinate the whole thing so to have someone come in help um, even on a one or two hours is, is really useful and it also connects the carer with the community and those people who generally know each other so as um, Helen was saying it, it's, it increases that tightening of the fabric of our society. And whereabouts in Selwyn are the home shares at the moment? We have three. There's Leeston, Lincoln and Rolleston. Um, and and potentially where else would you like to see one? There start? have been few inquiries around the Darfield area and Kirwee. 
Um, and of course, in the areas where they are, there could be room for more as well, because we certainly have no issue with clients. There's, Why is there such a big issue in the rural areas for needing places like this? I think people um, want to stay in their areas. When they get older, they get drawn back to their Tūranga Waiwai, as it were. They come back to where they grew up, what they know. And unfortunately, with um, the society, the people are, are migrating out to the towns for work, for study. And some of them are in these beautiful homes, surrounded by paddocks, but no social connection. Um, so I think that's a bit of a trend in, in that rurally uh, it's a bit more difficult than, say, in town where you can or you can get a taxi, but um, transport's a huge issue. So how do people get in touch with you if they want to either, you know, come to a home share themselves or they might want their their loved one to attend a home share, or they want to volunteer, what yeah. is the best way of getting in touch with you? Um, the best way is to go on our website, on the Presbyterian Support website, Upper South Island, and there's an enlivened section with an 0800 number there. So that will connect you with us. Thank you so much for your time today, Chris. You're welcome. Next guest this morning is Lynn Taylor from Diabetes Christchurch, who's going to be talking about managing diabetes. Lynn has worked for Diabetes Christchurch since 2003, but has lived with diabetes for 41 years. So welcome to Swell On Air, Lynn. Thank you. So who is Diabetes Christchurch and what areas do you serve in? So Diabetes Christchurch is the first society ever in New Zealand, so it was started in 1956 by Sir Don Bevan and Garth Harris, and they wrote a letter to England asking the hospital association if they could start up a support group for people with diabetes. And the British Diabetes Association said, no way, people will know they're going to die. And he thought, well, that was a bit of a silly answer. So we were the first society started in 1956, and from that, many other societies started. So wow. So we... they said no, but <laughs> he went ahead anyway. <laughs> he, he said that, you know, oh, people might know they're going to be blind, so we can't let them know that, which a lot of campaigns have have been based on the complications because the complications are quite horrific. And so people do need to know how to manage how to manage well and to sustain that management because that will you know, certainly show how you can live and do most things in life by managing well and taking your tests and having your medications and understanding what those medications do for you. So what are the different types of diabetes? So now there's a lot more. Um, they, they have type 1 and type 2 are the main two. 90% of the population, or 88%, have type 2, and 10% have type 1. So that equates to about 300,000 people in New Zealand with um, di both diabetes. And then it also breaks down, there's gestational, which you get during your pregnancy. There's pre-diabetes, which is a warning. If you don't change your habits a little bit, then you will get um, type 2 diabetes. 
And then also there's now Modi and Lada. So there are variations of type 1 and type 2. And in um, Britain alone, they know they've got over a million people with Modi and Lada now. So how, how do people manage diabetes and the risk of all these complications? So with risk management, um, it's basically trying to live a healthy diet and lifestyle including um, exercise three to four times. It doesn't have to be a marathon race. It can be half an hour, three to four times a week is really great. So walking is a great thing. Instead of taking your car to the supermarket, those sort of things. So they're everyday easy things that are able to be done and accomplished. I think sometimes we make things too complex that we don't make achievable goals for people. Losing weight is hard work. Um, you know, I like the seafood diet, you know, seafood and eat it. But, <laughs> you know, there's so many fad diets and that. And what we want is long-term sustainable diets and moderation. So if you think of moderation, think of the palm of your hand. And if a portion of food fits in the palm of your hand, that's a good size. So a banana, because you get bananas that are four inches long, you get bananas that are 12 inches long. There's a lot more carbs in the banana that's twice the standard size. So you mentioned carbs. So is that an important consideration in the diet? Absolutely. So most people, they used to be called portions. Now we've gone to carb and, and there's also the keto diet and that sort of thing. There's a lot of modifications of diets, but the biggest thing is to have under 10 grams of fat per 100 grams 10 grams of sugar, less than 10 grams of sugar per 100 grams, and above 6 grams of fibre. Fibre helps the metabolism of your food try and be not up and down. So something like candy floss that has very high sugar, one of the highest, makes your sugar levels rise very quickly. So with type 1, unfortunately, your pancreatic cells, which are in the aisles of Langerdan in your pancreas, are totally destroyed when you get type 1. With type 2, you start using up your allocated cells for your body, and some people, it's a bit like getting the Morris Minor car or the Rolls Royce, some people's allocation gets used up a lot more quickly, and so you end up with not enough cells to break down the food. The insulin in your body breaks down food into carbohydrate or sugars. And without sugars, we our brain doesn't function, you can't dance and talk. So we've got to try and manage our diabetes so our sugars end up between 4 and 8 during the day. That's hard work for a person on insulin particularly and, per, and a person newly diagnosed type 2. So... Does the management and the risk change as we age? I think it does change, but if we don't get into good management rules and, and, and doing the right things early on, the, the complications that can happen are quite horrendous. 
So the more we learn good management skills, and as I said, it's moderation. If you think of a healthy plate, a round plate, half is of vegetables, a quarter is of protein, so that's your meat, um, and a quarter is of carbohydrate. We tend to overeat on the amount of carbohydrate we have. And like even the packet of noodles can be 65 grams. That's your allocation for a whole meal. So then people might have a piece of bread with it, a piece of fruit. So then you know, your calorie intake is getting up quite high. So it's learning what are the free foods. So free foods are what we call green foods. Orange foods are foods that you can have a limited amount of, and that's your carbs. And then your red foods, so it's the traffic stoplight system, are the very high um, carbohydrate foods like sweets and lollies and that sort of thing. And so what are some of the complications and statistics around those? So sadly, diabetes is actually the number one killer of in New Zealand, but it doesn't get put on your death certificate that you died of diabetes. You died of the complications. So 54% of heart and stroke are from diabetes. So heart attacks and strokes are one of the biggest you know, cardiovascular killers in New Zealand. 58% of amputations are through poorly controlled diabetes. Ulcers are one of the biggest health costs to the DHB. And an ulcer, because when you've got diabetes, your autoimmune system doesn't work as well, so you don't heal as quickly. So little sores can turn into an ulcer, particularly on your legs. Kidney dialysis. No one would ever want to, you know, be a person on dialysis. It's really hard work. So, um, and then you've also got um, many things like um, it has a lot of, like it is an auto, autoimmune, a lot of the, con, the type 1 condition is an autoimmune disease. So then the complications can also be carpal tunnel, thyroid, celiac disease. So there's a lot of correlations, even arthritis now, and also dementia are related to poorly controlled diabetes. Wow. And just, you know, like you talked about cuts and um, and taking real care. One of those areas is around your foot care, isn't it? Absolutely. So not to wear socks that are tight or make an impression around your ankles because that's where you can easily get an ulcer. They are loose-fitting and um, support the feet particularly and as well as good shoes. Um, you need support in your shoes. And is it likely that it's more important for a diabetic to get their toenails professionally cut, especially as they age? If you can't do it, so yeah. because, um, you know, bending down to your feet can be quite hard, and also if you nick the side of your toe or anything, that wound can take a long time to heal. So the society does offer a toenail clipping with a podiatrist, so we have that um, number of sessions per month with a qualified podiatrist. The biggest thing is being preventative and, it, look, it doesn't have to be an absolute, you can't have anything diet, do you know what I mean? It's moderation and portion size. So, you know, most of us overeat, 
because food's nice. Mm. It's comforting. It, it. Doesn't, doesn't talk back to you. You know, it really is food is comfort. And that's where the moderation has, unfortunately, in our society today, really got away on us. So we usually eat far too much for our body each day to process. So what happens then is you put on weight. Type 1, as I said, is an autoimmune. So it's not because of what you ate that you got type 1. Some virus has triggered the destruction of your cells and you're, unfortunately your cells are totally destroyed. So then you have to replace that with insulin. With type 2, it's more progressive, but it certainly is quite often family-related. So if there's a correlation, particularly in Maori and Pacific Island and Indian, are now one of the highest rates of people getting type 2. And so, you know, it's... If it's in your family, if it, if you have another you know member that has it, um, always ask for what we call an IGT test or an intolerance glucose test, or you can get what we call an HbA1c, and that's a measurement that tells what your blood sugar levels have been over a three month period. Okay, and so tell me how Diabetes Christchurch can support people living with diabetes. So one. We have a very, very good shop. It's one of the biggest shops in the whole of New Zealand now for diabetes products. We have all the blood glucose testing machines. We also have all the new sensor, what they call continuous glucose monitors. So instead of having to finger prick your blood now, you can actually, I've got a sensor on my arm called a Dexcom, and that can measure your blood glucose levels every five minutes in real time and and it's transferred to your phone so you don't actually but sadly and that's one of the biggest things pharmac haven't funded them yet so my dexcom is 168 a month and a libre sensor is 105 sorry 168 dollars for 10 days and a libre is 105 for 14 days these are marvelous new devices and technology and it's just a shame that you know pharmac hasn't taken it on board to fund because one you're testing 15 to 30 times a day plus it's also taking random tests in the background so you're seeing what those patterns are so as i said before between four and eight is perfect that doesn't happen when you have a do a test before a meal, then you've got to work out how much food, so you've got a carbohydrate count, then you've got to work out how much exercise you're going to have. How do you measure stress? Mm. Oh, I'll have two units of insulin for stress. You can't measure stress. And then if you've got other complications or a sick, a cold coming on, that will make your levels higher. So with these new devices particularly, you're able to see a pattern emerging of what your results, and then you can adjust your medications. So type 1 have the insulin. A lot of type 2 also have insulin as well because slowly their management has just progressed that they also need insulin as well. But Pharmac have... Luckily, um, approved two new drugs. Um, um, just got their names here somewhere, and I'll find those in a second. Um, but that's really been marvellous to help 
type 2 manage their diabetes. One is called Trulicity or Delutide, um, is the technical term, but it, you actually have once a week instead of daily. Wow. So that is a huge improvement. Yep. And then there's other new, like metformin, it's been around in sulfonurin for a long time. They've now made combinations of metformin with, and this is a really hard word, it's called Jardins or Emmaglifoflozin. And they combined are called Jardiments. So they help manage even better than the metformin. The metformin is to try and stimulate your pancreas to produce more insulin, and for the insulin you have left in your body to last last longer. But unfortunately, with some people and depending how their control is, your insulin cells finally stop. So how do people get in touch with your shop? They can can they look online? So we do have a website, so it's just www.diabeteschristchurch, all one word, .co.nz. We also have support groups. We have an extension range of socks, travel bags, um, some sweets, you know, and sugar-free drinks. We sell a lot of socks, um, so they're very good socks that help support your feet in that. We have, as I said, the blood glucose testing machines, some of the sensors. We also have what we call Dextros and Carrero, which are special things if you're low. So not only can your body go too high, the scariest thing when you're on insulin is going too low. Mm. So when you go too low, that's called a hypoglycemic. Um, event and what happens is your brain because you haven't got enough energy or carbs in your brain it mixes things up you can become quite tired or slurry and you get to the point that you can't actually help yourself to get your levels up so you want to be able to because you know those blood glucose results of what level you're at you can you know, activate sooner than later than getting far too low. If you end up in a coma, then you're in big trouble because you actually are killing brain cells. And that's a very scary, particularly parents of children, you know, to have your child having a hypoglycemic attack. So you can go too high or too low. So you also do education sessions? Yes, so with where we're, we host the sessions with Sport Canterbury and Nurse Maud. Nurse Maud does the teaching and Canterbury, Sports Canterbury take the um, enrolments. So you can do that through any GP um, just to enrol and they do newly diagnosed type 2 courses and also there is ones for advanced um, type 1 and also carbohydrate counting and that sort of thing. Mainly there are two sessions for about two, three hours for a two-week period. Um, so they're very good. And it's a lot of information to take on board straight away. And when you haven't been feeling well, because usually you're quite high when you're first diagnosed, so you're piddling a lot, your skin's dry, you may have lost a lot of weight. And people say, well, if you're overweight, how do you lose all that weight? Because your body is not producing insulin to break down your food, it just basically goes straight out of you and you end up with very high ketones, so you actually end up losing weight. Your eyesight can become quite blurry, 
So, you know, when you're diagnosed, usually with type 2, those experiences aren't quite as predominant. But with type 1, it's really a rapid weight loss, very thirsty, and then wanting to piddle. So, you know, you really are very, you can't explain the thirst, and you could have a whole pint of water, shows you how old I am, Mm. but, you know, you could have a whole, and you're still thirsty. Mm. And then you just want to piddle and eventually you end up vomiting and you can, what we say, is go into DKA, which is pretty scary. Um, so how do people get in contact with Diabetes Christchurch, Lynn? So we're based in um, really good rooms at 21 Carlisle Street in Sydenham. Easy to get off Gaston Street or Colombo. And then you can either phone us on 03... Nine two five nine nine seven two, or you can look at our website, which I said was www.diabeteschristchurch.co.nz. Thank you so much for your time today. Thank you. Thank you for listening. If you want to hear other stories about ageing well in Selwyn, check out Plains FM website and search Swell on Air. Matewa. Well.